0: Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence
1: Awards are underway, so whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities and the personal and professional lives
0: of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today.
1: The third tip is to accept that this is the phase of life where you're balancing a bunch of goals with different time horizons. And if the only investment account that you have is your retirement account, it's no wonder that you're stressed, Right. right? And honestly, like I just went on a rant about emergency funds, but this is also my beef with retirement calculators that use your current living expenses as the baseline for what you'll need in retirement. Because the reality is even your expenses have time horizons. You're not always going to be buying fruit snacks and Halloween costumes for your kid, nor is your health care always going to be subsidized by your employer. So there's this saying that says, you know, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Well, a retirement account is your hammer. They're great for a lot of reasons, but if your financial goals have a shorter time horizon, then you're in an uphill battle against early withdrawal fees, annual contribution limits, tax implications, and eventually an underfunded retirement because you had to keep drawing from this account and paying these penalties.
0: Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian.
1: And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking to midlifers. We're going to give some investing and financial tips and hopefully try to clear up some of the air around this weird period of life. All right. But- Before we dive in, as a reminder, we love hearing from you. So if you have any questions or topics that you want us to address on the show, you can use the contact page on richandregular.com or reach reach out at hello at richandregular.com. All right. So today's topic, it kind of reminds me of this meme that says... Sorry if I seem weird. It's just the past few years have reshaped my entire personality, which is <laughs> like a total millennial style meme. But I am the one who selfishly wanted to talk about this because
0: okay, it's a confession. <laughs>
1: yes, okay. I mean, you know this, but they don't. I, you know, as elder millennials or those of us in our late 30s, kind of early 40s, we seem to be going through it right now and have been for a while and a lot of the financial advice that's out there seems to be catered to young people like Gen Zers kind of encouraging them to start investing as early as possible and the data suggests that they're doing that which is great or it's catered to the generations that are older than us and who are focused on, you know, legacy and care plans and winding down out of their careers. Meanwhile, there are those of us who are in the middle of those two phases and we're still earning income. Maybe we've experienced some hiccups and job security, but in theory, we haven't even hit our peak earning years yet. And we're raising kids and we're navigating this weird political and socioeconomic environment where everything seems to be changing. And we're just kind of treading water. (laughs) Like, it reminds me like i imagine it as being in the middle of an ocean where you can see both shorelines and it's just as much effort to go backwards as it is to move forward and keep swimming but yeah you feel like you need to just stay there and tread water and you know that's also not sustainable so you just
0: i I actually thought you were going to add a different example because i think one of the other things that really kind of defines this period is just the relationships in your life so you're old enough to remember you know at this point you've had about three best friends right you remember when you were a kid and you always thought that like you'd be forever besties with whoever it was then you get into like your 20s or you went to college or high school or something like that now you're like in your 30s and it's like a completely different set of people. Oh, yeah. You can kind of feel like it's happening again. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine a world where this person isn't in my life. But what do you mean? I, I probably haven't met my 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 true best friend or yeah. my next best friend yet. Or, you know, these people are having kids or I've had kids and they haven't had like it's a very weird point. Like this is like the fork in the road. For yeah, a lot of people. You're absolutely like, right. I went left. You didn't necessarily go right, but like we're not in the same place. You yeah, know what I mean, and so that's that's another I think defining. Even the stories I tell, feature. like
1: I I happen to live down the street from my college roommate now, and so we hang out pretty regularly. And uh, it's gotten to the point now where we used to be able to tell these nostal- nostalgic stories, and they would just end and last, and we roll into the next one. Yep. And now they kind of end with like this somber sigh, like, "Ah,
0: oh, Yes, yeah, So here we are. <laughs> I know. Well, okay.
1: Yes, <laughs> you weird. want some more ginger ale? Pretty much.
0: <laughs> now, I will I will say this, like, I, you know, enough to say that I, I don't have these issues, but we're obviously talking about this from a financial lens uh, specifically. And, and, I, and I cannot personally relate, right? Like I am a very, you know, for lack of a better word, a very financially responsible person. But I do have people in my life who are struggling with these things. And I see some of the decisions that they're making and the frustrations that they're experiencing. And when they do sort of find the courage to open up, like it's always really telling. And I totally, in some ways can kind of feel that weight a little bit. And it's one of the reasons that we weave back and forth between talking about money and work, because for most people, the two are intertwined. You get money from the job. And when there's no job, there's no money. And it'll leads to a shift in how you feel about your finances and honestly, like your life As a whole. But I will say this I I do remember, or I can relate more so in my 20s, and it's not exactly the same, but I can relate to the idea of being deeply committed to a way of life, a career, an identity. I I used to be a professional chef. I went to school for that. People would call me that. It was my my MySpace page. I don't even (laughs) think they called it handles, but like everybody knew me as that. It was in my email address. I was a chef. And so to make that shift and say, you know what, I don't want to do this or I don't think this is for me anymore was really difficult and very telling because you can see a lot of the other people in life. I mean, for years afterwards, they would still call me down. I was like, you know what, I don't do that anymore. But all of that to say, it was a huge shift uh, because of that. Trying to find a job was very difficult because people saw me one way. This is what you've done. This is who you are. Even people who were my mentors refused to. Acknowledge that I wanted to do something else or help because they only saw me as that one thing. So when I think about what a lot of people are dealing with now in their 30s and 40s, we're talking about like two decades of a particular professional identity, a way of life, maybe a certain quality of life, et cetera. And so when you start to feel displeasure or frustration or experience disruption, I think the stakes are a lot higher for people now. And I think that's part of the reason why this period is so challenging for Right.
1: Yeah, I think typically when people hear the word midlife, they immediately attach crisis to it. And Brene yeah. Brown doesn't call it a midlife crisis, but she does call it an unraveling. And she talks about how psychologically painful that process of trying to hold these two competing thoughts, who I was before and who I'm trying to be, trying to hold those two competing thoughts in a brain that's literally engineered to reduce conflict and smooth out any internal disputes and how how painful that is. Now, one thing that Brene and I agree on is that when we say midlife, we're not referring to an age. One, because you don't know how much time you have left here. So you don't know if you midlife or not. Yeah, I think people just
0: automatically jump to 50 I know. And it's like, well, well, first of all, the average age has never been 100.
1: 100?
0: (laughs) Right. No. What you're feeling is what a lot of people, like you don't have to wait until you talk. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So one, you don't know how much time you have left. And then two, like the folks in Silicon Valley are actively working to extend longevity. They say we're going to live to be 120. They are. Which is only 500 years short of my goal to be 700, like a sea turtle. So... Okay. (laughs) A
0: single sea turtle.
1: But like, I I like to think of midlife as more of a phase to your point where you have this structure and rhythm to your life. Maybe you have a set of characters or choices or commitments that you've made that are really hard to take back and let go. And so you kind of shaped and engineered your life around them. And now that I think about it, that's probably why there isn't much advice for midlifers. People assume that you are planted or anchored in the choices that you made in your 20s. And you're kind of just stuck there until your 50s when you decide to make the next big leap. That or people are still just trying to figure it out. And there's no advice to give because they're in the middle of it too. But the reality is midlife and mid-career often complicate your financial needs. And so you might have to juggle raising kids or dealing with aging parents, or maybe even saving for college or navigating a career change. And so having some sort of grounding advice or tips is really helpful.
0: Yeah. I think that assumption is well-earned if we're being fair, right? Like people are very reluctant to change. And I think it is exacerbated the older that they get or the higher the stakes are, right? Like If something's going to change or something's going to potentially have this massive blowback, people, without question, are going to be a little uh, resistant, if you will. But so I've actually given this quite a bit of thought. (laughs) And maybe because I'm at my own sort of, uh, what is it? Unraveling. Intersection. I'm not going to call it unraveling. I'm not not unraveling. That sounds traumatic. So if I think about the people who do have, and this is in response to like why there's not as many solutions for the, those people. I don't think the buck is just on the people because they don't change. I think it also goes on the people who maybe do have these ideas or do have this point of view. And it's kind of related, but I think they get frustrated trying to convert people. Right. Just like, you know what? I, you're going to do what you're going to do. Right. Like and there's. Like stubbornness, like I'm not gonna beat around the bush. We're calling it all these other things, unraveling or, you know, resistance. Like, if there's a stubbornness that comes yeah. from people who are very much committed to a certain way of doing things, right? They don't wanna change. They've gone so far down that road, like, there's no real reason in their minds to change, even though they might be like glaring rationale or reasons.
1: <laughs> this feels like a personal attack. Um,
0: oh, okay. Okay. Well, we can talk about that during the break. But I think the other reason is that, I, I, you know, and quite simply, I think people who are who have done well are, are too busy doing well. Like they're just focused on doing the things like they're busy, like it's busy. Life is busy. Right. So you've got your routine. Things are going well for you. And I think going back to what I was saying before, I think we, we at certain points just grow accustomed to the fact that, you know what, like everyone's older now. They're going to make their own decisions. And you just you, you, you don't really find a lot of interest in trying to help people because you're too right. busy kind of living your own life on a related note one of the this is actually making me think about a brief online conversation I had with a friend of mine who is a very successful podcaster among other things among several things that they do really well but they basically announced that they were ending their podcast and it's only I almost seemed like a year old or something like that and I sent him a note like congratulating him because I know that that was probably a really difficult decision for him to make. But I also sent him this quote, and it's one that I've always been mindful of, and it's by Taylor Molly, He was an author, educator, and artist. I think he's based out of New York. But he basically says that changing your mind is one of the best ways to determine whether or not you still have one. Mm. So when you think about how we tend to view ourselves, what we may believe our strengths or our weaknesses are, whether we believe, for example, that we're just naturally bad at math to kind of bring this conversation back to like this idea of investing. Like there are all these things that we bring into these moments of our lives. It, you know, it, it, it makes sense why people sort of hold on to the set of beliefs. But I go back to that quote and was like, you, it's okay to change your mind and say, you know what? I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to do this for money anymore. I don't want to be so fearful of these things anymore. And I think a lot of people find themselves dealing with this at this midlife notion period in your life, whether you want to call it a crisis, a transition, or a rebrand. But I think that moment, and there may be several of them, is one of those times where people are really kind of confronted with those feelings.
1: Yeah. And how you respond is what determines how you ultimately define that period, right? Whether it's a crisis or an unraveling, a transition, or a rebrand. And I, you know, that's part of why I wanted to make today's episode. It's absolutely this paradigm shift that requires a lot of practice and meditation and journaling and inside work. But I found that a few reframes kind of keep me going. All right, so let's get into our tips. The first tip is to make sure that you establish a baseline level of financial security and protect what you currently have. And there are a number of ways to protect your assets, but today I want to focus on two, which is insurance coverage and reassessing your risk tolerance so starting with insurance we've done a couple of episodes on insurance because i cannot stress enough how important it is to not phone in the decisions that surround your homeowner's insurance your health insurance and your life insurance again we've done in-depth episodes around all three so feel free to dig into the archive crates and go back and listen but you really need to set aside time every year for an annual check-in to ensure that your policies are up to date that the plans meet your current needs and budget, and in the case of life insurance, that the policy is sufficient enough to replace your income and cover any outstanding debts for your dependents. Now, you also may want to use this time to consider picking up some new policies. Don't go overboard. Don't be all overinsured. Policy shopping. Yeah, It's not shopping, but depending on your lifestyle, it may be worth it to research umbrella insurance, which is basically designed to provide additional liability coverage beyond the limits of your primary policies. So if you are a homeowner and you want to protect your assets from lawsuits that may occur on your property, let's say you have contractors in and out and they may get hurt, which may mean that they ultimately sue you. Or maybe you're in a family with multiple drivers. Let's say you have some teenage drivers, you have an older driver in your household, and you want to protect your assets from significant liability claims beyond what your car insurance may provide. So there are times where someone could get a personal injury lawyer and sue you for beyond just the repairs of the car. That might be a good candidate for umbrella insurance. Now, like I mentioned, you don't want to go overboard because there's also an opportunity to reduce coverage in some areas. Maybe you originally, when you signed up for your car insurance, you got the most expensive plan because you couldn't you couldn't afford the higher deductible. If that's changed, if you can take on more than a $500 deductible, maybe you can do a $1,500 deductible, Mm -hmm. there's a chance to downgrade your plan and bank the difference in an investment fund or an emergency fund or somewhere else in your budget. So just take some time to do the insurance hygiene. You can do this once a year, twice a year, don't overdo it. You know, you don't wanna you don't wanna make it a thing, but it's important to just ensure that the policies that you have are actually going to protect the assets.
0: Yeah, another thing you can do is reassess or revisit a lot of Rs here, revisiting your risk tolerance. And this is important for a couple of reasons. So your your financial goals and priorities evolve naturally. You might experience changes in your earning potential, maybe you have a shorter time horizon compared to when you're younger. So you have less time to recover from significant investment losses. I'll give you a big example, or at least the first one that comes to mind. Like having a child is one thing. Obviously that is a, and I say this with love, a disruptive sort of moment in their life. But having twins unexpectedly or like a child with special needs is like a completely different thing, right? And so all of those things might require you to revisit your risk tolerance so that you feel a little bit more comfortable with the act of investing. Or maybe you started investing in your 20s and you were super aggressive back then, but now that you're in your 30s, your 40s, or your 50s, you're starting to feel a little less comfortable with that market volatility. The stakes are a little higher. Or maybe you just don't think uh, that a three-month emergency fund is enough anymore. You know, like, by the way, this, this this could also work in the other direction. You might determine that you're tired of missing out on the big waves because you've been investing for 20 years, but you know a couple of people who've been able to achieve significantly greater returns than you have. Right, you've it. been too conservative. So looking back and saying, wow, I've actually been a little too conservative. I want to make sure that I take advantage of the next five to 10 year period, right? To see if I might be able to catch up relative to what would have been possible had I been a little bit more aggressive. Now, I'll stop there because I want to make sure that I'm clear on some of the language Uh, Since there might be some people who are newbies and maybe some of this language might be a little bit confusing. So when we talk about risk tolerance, we're really talking about your willingness to accept the volatility, the natural volatility that comes along with your investment choices. So generally speaking, if you're what's considered a conservative investor, then you would have a preference for lower risk investments and a lower tolerance for market volatility. If you were on the other end of the spectrum, then you were or would be considered an aggressive investor, which means that you're fine with that volatility. You've embraced that and you're actually banking on bigger things so that you can benefit from the growth that would likely come with that because it typically exceeds what the market would have done if you had sort of find yourself somewhere in between. And by in between, we mean someone who was typically considered a balanced or a moderate investor. So that's typically someone like us in some cases where your goal is just do what the market does to mirror whatever the market does. And by the market, we mean the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500. But if it goes up, you're going up, proportionate to the percentage of the wealth that you have in there. It gets really nerdy really, really quickly, but I just wanted to make sure that we added a little bit of color around some of that language. But the point is, and I'll give you a little bit of a real life scenario here. Like What it really boils down to is like you reaching this point in your life and making that decision to say, okay, this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. This is maybe this newfound understanding of my career trajectory or health or life, whatever it is. And you're going to tweak basically your retirement portfolio or your investment portfolio accordingly, right? So you might be looking at your bond allocation, you might be looking at the percentage of your holdings that are in individual stocks or mutual funds, but you're doing all of these things either to be a little bit more aggressive, to be a little bit more conservative, or something or anything in between, kind of in response to this moment in life that you're in. I think doing that just gives you a greater sense of ease, but more than anything, it puts you in a position to where you're actively engaged with your your investment portfolio, which I think everyone should be. But it just gives you this sense of uh, clarity and understanding so that you don't get too freaked out whenever something unfavorable happens.
1: Yes. All right. So the first tip is to protect what you have through insurance, strategic insurance and reevaluating your risk tolerance. And the next tip is actually a don't and it's don't abandon the fundamentals. Yeah. People tend to assume that when they get midlife and they have this larger portfolio from you know a decade or two of investing, that that means more complexity. And so they automatically sign up for an expensive financial advisory service, or they enter into these complicated financial products that combine multiple objectives and charge really high fees. And look, you already have increased responsibilities between work, family, and your other commitments. Now is actually the time to keep things simple. The more complex your portfolio gets, the more transaction costs, the more management fees, and the more tax implications that you'll have to consider. And the reality is index funds and ETFs gives you all the diversification you need without being this time suck of complexity. You don't need to go in and individually cherry pick stocks and move things into different accounts. You can just really keep things
0: simple. Yeah, I have very specific people (laughs) in mind or like I, I was envisioning a very specific set of people that we that we know that are in our family, but also people that we've met over the years that have found themselves at this juncture. And it's either it, you know, comes from both angles. Like sometimes it's because things are working and they are paying attention to their friends, the one who got the the nice truck or the the, the moved into the different you know community, which is clear you know to so them like this indicator that you know clearly I'm doing something wrong, so yeah. I need to tweak something. Or it's like the other end of the spectrum where like you're trying to play catch up and you feel like hey. I've heard that what you guys do. And yeah, 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 I get it. That sounds great. But I'm looking to hit a home run. Like I need to hit home. I need to make up for the last 10 to 15 years of poor performance or inactivity. And so people tend to sort of abandon the fundamentals and make these really sort of emotional investment leaps, if you will. And, and that really, really works out. So I completely agree with that. I, I think most people in those situations are much better off Using that energy to combat lifestyle creep. Yeah, like this is the time in their life where they feel like, you know, going back to the friend and again I have very specific people in mind. Right? And it's like, I I want the new car. I want the yeah, I, I We went to the same school. How come I don't have that thing? Or, or 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 which is the crazier part? They just convince themselves that they can. Right? If my neighbor can afford to move to this new neighborhood, I have a general idea of how much they make. Like surely I do as well. Yeah. And so they get caught up in this. This is like literally the epitome of keeping up with the Jones, even though people rarely see themselves that way. But they want to get the bigger things instead of looking at it another way and saying, you know, what? actually, now is a great time to kind of batten down the hatchets, revisit the budget, the fundamentals, and say, you know what, I haven't used this thing in like 10 years. Or I've been paying for this thing and I don't need it anymore. Well, let's see if we can get away with being a one-car household. And I say that knowing that like there's somebody out there who's like, Absolutely. Rolling their right. eyes. But I, I have to give a shout out to Lynette and Earl, who are friends and mentors of ours. They made that decision, I'm going to say last year. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe they've looked back, but I don't think I'm so. pretty sure every time I see them, they're, they, they were, they're at a different Beyonce concert. <laughs> like they, are, they are always on the road. But I think they were just a great example right? of people who've made smart financial decisions, but still are not afraid to prune instead of continuing to buy up. And I think that little decision oftentimes ends up having the largest impact on a lot of people's financial life. So yeah, I I will look at this from a completely different perspective though. And I'm speaking from personal experience here, even for me, like I generally speaking, I've been a pretty healthy person my entire life, no issues, no major injuries or anything like that. Until I want to say mid-summer, I started feeling this pain in my foot and it was, Something that I thought, like, oh, you know, maybe I just rest for a couple days. Maybe because I've been hitting the kettlebells too hard, it'll go away. Long story short, I find out that this heel pain is actually plantar fasciitis. And the doctor was like, hey, you need to go to a running shoe store and get, like, I call them prescription sneakers, but like, (laughs) you need to get your shoes, you know, sized and like basically prescribed. Like, there are shoes that are designed specifically for people that have these kinds of issues. And I was just shocked that, you know, wow, there was actually something wrong. But even as I was thinking about it, I was so grateful that I had gotten to this point in my life where I had the time freedom and I had the resources to explore this problem. Because when I think back to when I was working in corporate, I would see so many people in their 40s and 50s. And it's like this person, what do we call it? The thing where you got to wear the bracelets. Oh, yeah. The um, carpal tunnel. Carpal tunnel or I'm seeing other people who've got these heel issues and you just start to see like the bodies breaking down mm-hmm. and it's not enough to say, well, Oh no, I can't go to work tomorrow, but it just compounds and compounds. And before you know it, now you've basically created a major issue that you're going to have to deal with in your fifties and sixties or whatever, you know, basically 10 to 15 years from now. And so all of that to say, right, when you're in this period of time, I know that there's a tendency to want to treat yourself to the nicer thing, the luxury thing or the luxury experience. But I think there's just as much, if not greater value in making a decision that is centered more so around quality of life or making that big preventative decision Mm -hmm. that ensures that when you hit your sixties or seventies, you will still be mobile and healthy and able to actually enjoy the money that you've saved and invested. Yeah. This seems like a good time to take a break. Uh, We will be right back. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges, and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD.
1: Yeah, I I love what you said about uh, unexpected expenses, because that's basically what adulting is. And I think when we talk about, you know, bank accounts, we talk about checking accounts, savings accounts, and emergency funds. And the challenge with emergency fund is that it trains us to think that the only emergency is job loss. Which is why we oh, yeah. measure an emergency fund in terms of like months of living expenses. Yeah. But an emergency might be heel pain that is preventative from you know walking or a back pain or you know a persistent headache. And having the funds available to solve those problems is a huge blessing and a huge extension of quality of life. And so, you know, bonus points if you take all of that energy from lifestyle creep. Put the money in a quote unquote emergency/slash unexpected expenses fund and bonus points if you put it in a high yield savings account, where which are earning upwards of you know 3% to 5% these days. So great advice there. All right. So the third tip is to accept that this is the phase of life where you're balancing a bunch of goals with different time horizons. And if the only investment account that you have is your retirement account, it's no wonder that you're stressed, right? right? And honestly, like I just went on a rant about emergency funds, but this is also my beef with retirement calculators that use your current living expenses as the baseline for what you'll need in retirement, because the reality is even your expenses have time horizons. You're not always going to be buying fruit snacks and Halloween costumes for your kid. Nor is your healthcare always going to be subsidized by your employer. Yeah. So there's this saying that says, you know, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Well, a retirement account is your hammer. They're great for a lot of reasons. But if your financial goals have a shorter time horizon, yeah. then you're in an uphill battle against early withdrawal fees, annual contribution limits, tax implications, and eventually an underfunded retirement because you had to keep drawing from this account and paying these penalties. So, the, the point is that long term and short term goals often require very different investment strategies. When you co your goals, which may be to retire yourself, care for your mom, pay for your kids' college, yeah. pay for your daughter's wedding, as well as cover any future healthcare needs, it makes it really challenging to track progress and reallocate your res- resources for retirement in addition to all of these other goals. So now is the time to start considering specialty accounts, things like a health savings account or a taxable brokerage account or a 529 or a custodial account for your dependents. Again, 401ks and other retirement accounts are valuable tools for long-term retirement savings, but they're just generally not suitable for achieving the in-between financial goals of midlife that have different timelines. So if you want a stronger chance at success, you want to look at a combination of accounts that are tailored to each of your goals?
0: Yeah, so along those lines, if you have made that decision and you have a bunch of these accounts, maybe too many accounts, I want to, uh, I'm drawing on our friend here, Christine Benz, who is the Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning for Morningstar. But uh, I don't know if she's coining the term, but she basically calls it like portfolio sprawl where you just have like too many accounts, right? Like I've got my 401k that was over here and I've got this one over here and like a bunch of different allocations all over the place. Like it's very difficult to get a clear understanding of what you're invested in, how much any of that stuff is costing you. And so at this point in your life, this might also be a good moment to just pause, kind of do some cleanup and consolidate all of those things. And, and again, this happens for a variety of reasons, right? So maybe you're on your third job and you've never really rolled over your retirement accounts, which I don't want to say shame on you, but you sh- certainly yeah, should do that. that. <laughs> or maybe you got married later in life and gosh, you know how difficult that is. You you took on a bulk, a bulk of, of that sort of administrative workload, like all the different things that you got to do. Because any long list of reasons as to why you would just like leave something because you just don't want to get to it, The point that we're making here is regardless of what it is, like you want to get that mishmash of accounts, like all the stuff from Fidelity over here and Acorns, Vanguard, bring all of those things together or bring it under one umbrella so that you have a little bit more clarity around where you're going, what you need to do, so that you can do some of the things that we were talking about earlier as well. Too many holdings can just obscure the bigger picture and make it hard to track performance and understand your overall asset allocation. And I think one of the most overlooked aspects of really simplifying it here, and I'm teeing up our our, our other friend, JL Collins here, and using the term simple aptly because of the name of his book, or at least his earlier book. But like from a estate planning standpoint, if something were to happen to you, think about the mess that you might be passing on to somebody else. Think about how much more complex it would be to get a clarity around all of those things, right? So there's like, aside from just your own life and the simplicity and clarity that you gain, if or slash when something happens to you, you're passing something on to your beneficiaries, you want to be able to pass that over in as clean and sort of organized fashion as possible. And so I think this moment in time where you've got an opportunity to kind of make sense of this portfolio sprawl, you know, to sort of focus and really lock in and, sell the things and reallocate them to the things that are more aligned with where you are or where you anticipate being for the next five to 10 years. And I think that effort really kind of pays, pun intended. In dividends. Oh, here we go. Well
1: done. Okay, dad joke. (laughs) I've lost track of what number tip we're on because we've inserted a few asides. I think there
0: were four. four Okay.
1: Four and a half. All right. Well, our last one, tip five and a half is to continue to invest in learning and developing new skills. Yeah. And look, there are several reasons for this one as well. Let's just start with the changing job markets. If you listen to the podcast on the regular, you know, we've done a few episodes on technology advancements, industry trends and economic shifts. When you invest in skills development, you can stay adaptable and relevant which makes you more competitive and employable if that's what you're interested in. When you commit to self-improvement, you also set yourself up to get those promotions, salary increases, side hustle income, I was bonuses. I about to say
0: like a simple, gosh, I'm just making it up here. $700 investment in learning how to use your camera.
1: Yeah. Could be or learning how to edit a podcast. That
0: unlocks 25 dollars to $30,000 that you earn passively. And that solves for some financial issue or funds any yes. number of other accounts that would not have happened otherwise. And you actually enjoy doing it. It doesn't feel like work.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. Those are the the income windfalls that ultimately impact your long-term financial well-being and investing in self-improvement helps you get past those career plateaus and establish that resilience when there's a downturn or you're in between jobs. And I know that our listeners are ambitious people. So I know to some extent I'm preaching to the choir But I have to say that I've watched some of my most successful friends and family members spend decades concentrating on developing skills in every aspect of their lives except for their money. They have broken glass ceilings. They've healed generational curses. They've advanced at work. They've gotten a house, taken a big vacation, and they still feel this emptiness in them because they forgot something and they forgot to think about the money. And that neglect, that financial neglect has led to several negative consequences. They make great income, but they're still financially insecure. They experience a great deal of stress and anxiety and mental health challenges, and they can't think of any life goals beyond the ones that are attached to their career. And the financial stress has permeated and strained their relationships. So Mm -hmm. this is all because they forgot to think about the money. So as we talk about Advancing your skills and developing yourself, don't forget to focus on financial literacy as a part
0: of that. Yeah, I think this is where the metaphor of the hamster on the wheel comes in because, like, it's so appropriate. Like, that's exactly where people feel like they're just going nowhere fast. They're 15, 20 years down the line. It's like, I can't believe I I don't have much to show for by way of investment. And again, you can't go back and invest, right? You can only start today. And that sort of shame leads to like even more neglect and so on. And it's funny, like we. It, it reminds me, gosh, this had to have been twenty seventeen. I think the first freebie. This is when we had just started our blog, and it was back then. It was a good idea to have like a freebie ebook kind of thing, and yeah. we made it. And it was called We Get It, right? And it was <laughs> it was like, look, I get it. I get it. It's tough. Like, I, I feel it too. But to your point. That's like, I know because so many people really feel like, no, the answer is through. And I'm not saying it's not for anyone that might be jarred by what I'm getting ready to say. The answer is not more prayer. The answer is not, oh, I need to go to the gym twice or that, oh, I need to take my workout. Like you've done, to your point, really, really well in all these other aspects, but you've completely ignored or avoided the role that making smart. Or ha- financial decisions, or having clarity around your financial life, the role or the ripple effect that that has in every other aspect of your life. And that is something that I think a lot of people continue to do. And uh, I feel like I'm queuing you up here, but like we're hoping to solve for that. We, we just launched or are in the process of launching our very first class on investing yes. to solve for that issue to say, hey, like you. Maybe you waited too long. That's fine. Here's what you, here's what you miss. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do.
1: Yes. We've come a long way from, we get it. We were not, (laughs) we were not focused on SEO terms or any sort of clarity. When we called it, we get it, but making money grow is intended because that's what people want to do. They may not want to invest, but they want to and need to make their money grow. So if you've heard today's episode and you're feverishly writing down what you want to research, making money grow is a really great way to jumpstart your financial literacy refresh. Yeah. As Julia mentioned, it's our first investing class that we've done online. We've spent a lot of time traveling around the country and, and teaching in person, but that becomes unsustainable and hard to scale when we're also trying to be great parents to our son. So what we've done is kind of packaged up all of our best advice and put it into this video-based class, which is self-led, so you can watch it at your own pace. It's about four hours altogether, but it's broken up into really short videos that come with a workbook. So you can watch, kind of write down your thoughts and think about what you've just heard and assess how it fits into your own plan. Now, there are four modules where we cover an overview of how the stock market works We talk about different investing accounts and vehicles, we talk about how to evaluate and manage your investments, and then we provide some of our favorite resources and tools throughout, things to watch and read and listen to along the way that really reinforce the message and increase your fluency. We are so proud of what we put together, and I know it's going to help a lot of people. So if you are interested in learning more, you can do two things. You can head to com where you can find out more information, and you can sign up for our newsletter at com slash mail, richandregular.com slash mail. It's going to ask you for your name, your email address, and from there, you'll be on our list and receive regular updates.
0: I love it. All right, Brene Saunders. <laughs> Final thoughts. Final thoughts.
1: (laughs) So I was talking to one of my friends recently and complaining about just how done I was with goals. (laughs) And she said, maybe you don't need a goal. You just need a theme for this time of your life. And I love that advice because a goal is so fixated on what you want, but a theme asks who you are. And when you have a clear mission and are completely sure about what's important to you, the decisions become much easier. And so I'm becoming more convinced that most people don't need more advice. They need conviction. And so my final thought is to decide who you want to be, right? That's what I'm doing right now. And that's what I encourage each of you to do. Decide that you're going to be a person who makes smart financial decisions, even when you don't like the options that are presented in front of you. Decide that you want to be your children's first financial role model. Decide that you're going to be a person who still tries to establish a financial foundation, even when it feels shaky. Because once you're committed... It's more obvious what decisions to make, and it's clear what to prioritize.
0: If I had some church organs, I I know. I I I was preaching. I would. (laughs) I only have an ear horn, and I might be a little inappropriate. (laughs) Okay, my final thoughts, and I apologize in advance. It's not nearly as uplifting, but I think about the number of people that we've met that you know we have these kinds of conversations. They're nodding their heads. They they maybe they read the book or something like that. And they ask this question, "Is like, is it too late for me, right? And like, we get it from everyone, like anywhere from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, like, is it too late for me? Or they add some other caveat, I'm single or I'm married and headed to divorce or post divorce, like, is it too late for me? And I used to immediately just jump into like inspirational, motivational speaker mode and like say no and just pour into them. But I think going forward, caveat, depending on who I'm talking to, <laughs> I think I'm just going to say like, What if I say yes? Right. And I'm sure that that's going to sting a little bit. But the point that I'm going to try to make when I say this is that I don't want that kind of control or anyone's mm-hmm. life. And I don't think people should give anyone that kind of control Over there. So, like I told my friend, we all have the power to change our minds, our habits, our beliefs to your point. And so, yes, it might be a little bit more difficult based on where you are right now because you've gone so far down the road, but like it's okay, right? The one thing that compounds more than interest is neglect. So, don't ignore that urge to change. So get started today. And hey, if it's not today, don't beat yourself up. There's always tomorrow, but just don't let go of that urge or that feeling that's brewing inside of you.
1: I love that. The only thing that compounds more than interest is neglect. Ooh, Mm -hmm. ooh. All right. Well, thank y'all for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. Your life may be mid, but this episode wasn't. So if you like what you heard, Please leave us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see y'all next week.
0: I think that went over a couple of weeks.
1: <laughs> Mid is a, a slang term. <laughs>